as we think about Christmas time, um, there are, I think, a variety of things that um, kind of remind us, and it really, it really impacts, I think, almost all of our senses if we pause and, and give some consideration to that. I mean, think of the sights that you take in uh, that we associate with Christmas. There's what we see around our sanctuary. There's lights and there's trees. Um, uh, there's the carolers, if you happen to be in a neighborhood where, where that takes place. And then there are the sounds that go along with Christmas. Music, as we've just heard, the, the crowds, uh, the hustle and bustle of those kinds of things, the, the laughter of families as they get together for different family gatherings. And then there's the smells that go with Christmas, of freshly baked Christmas cookies or of that fudge that's stirring there in the pot of the meal uh, that we celebrate on Christmas Day. And then the taste, the taste of that fudge and those cookies and uh, the eggnog and other things that, that go along with that. All of those really fill our senses as we think about what Christmas is to us. And yet if we go back a couple thousand years ago to that very first Christmas, there were sights and sounds and smells and tastes, but they were very different from what we have now. Because it involved a, a young man and a young woman having taken a very long journey to get to this little town called Bethlehem. They were exhausted, and they were hungry, and they were exhausted, and in Mary's case, very pregnant. And all they wanted to do was find a place to rest, to be still, as the music reminds us. Well, it's in this recognition of, of how different things have become for us today that we want to take a step back just for a few moments this morning and think about what Christmas was like in those uh, early days, in the original day of Mary and Joseph. Last week, we talked about Mary. This week, I want to focus a little bit, talk about Joseph. Um, and what his experience was. And, and even before we get to the manger, as we did last week, I want to talk about uh, Joseph as he first heard the news that his life was about to change drastically. And that was to come about as he was to uh, hear from an angel in a dream uh, some startling news that was there for him. Uh, we're going to read about that in the Gospel of Ma uh, Matthew today, the first chapter verses 18 through 25. If you happen to have your Bible, let me invite you to, to join along with us. Matthew, first book in the New Testament, first chapter of that first book. Um, and we're going to be looking at verses again, 18 through 25, uh, or you can just listen if you would prefer to do that. But here now, God's word from Matthew 18, beginning with verse, um, Matthew 1, beginning with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said to him, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. 
The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. As we think a little this morning about Joseph, as also was true with, with Mary, um, while certainly incredibly special in the eyes of God, my guess is that to the eyes of man, uh, he was just sort of a pretty typical uh, young man. If you were to see him out in the marketplace or walking along one of the roads, he probably would not have stood out in any unique way. We know a little bit about Joseph. We know, for example, that he was a carpenter and probably had some stonemason skills. We don't often hear about that, but those were often uh, related in that day and age. In fact, in the original language, um, the, the same word that is used for both of those, a carpenter and stonemason. We know that he was a righteous man. We just read those very words in the text. And by that means, he had a right relationship, a right relationship, uh, for example, with God. In verse 19, uh, we read that he uh, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace um, because he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was a righteous man because he had a right relationship with God, which means that he both knew God's truths and he lived those truths out. Similar to what our statement is here at, at Calvary Baptist, uh, to God by becoming disciples who know and live God's will. Pieces uh, need to be there, and we see that as, as Joseph uh, lived out the life that he had. But we see that he was a righteous man, not only in terms of his relationship with God, but also in terms of his relationship with other people, especially we see that revealed to us in terms of his relationship with Mary. He was fair and caring and kind-hearted. Again, the text said that he didn't want to subject her to public disgrace. And so with great discretion and compassion, he watched over Mary as best he could, given the circumstances of that day. But the circumstances of that day were very unique for Joseph, unlike most that would encounter life in that particular See, Joseph was suddenly confronted uh, by something that we could uh, call a crisis of faith. Uh, maybe faith in God, but certainly a faith in Mary. Mary had come to him and told him a story of the fact that she was expecting, and, and, and yet she had never slept with anyone. And I suspect that Joseph desperately wanted to believe her at that point, but, but how could he? I mean, he wasn't a, a brilliant man, but he knew how basic biology worked. And, and for her to be pregnant um, involved some, uh, some other things, uh, typically not angels, as uh, he has heard in past history. And as we think about how um, just the, the Jewish uh, matrimony process uh, tended to follow, there were three distinctive steps that generally were involved in that. Uh, first off, there was an engagement. That often would happen even while the, uh, the, the two individuals were still children. They probably had never met at that point, and it was an arrangement that would be made between the fathers. And then as they grew, got into their, their teen years, 13, 14, 15, 16, they would move to the second stage, which was betrothal. At this point, things became legal. Um, they were actually uh, sort of considered husband and wife, and yet they wouldn't live in the same house. Uh, there would be no physical intimacy that would take place. Um, basically, what would happen would, uh, over the course of typically a year, 
the, the husband-to-be would go and he would build a home, or maybe it would be to build onto the home of the existing family structure there. He would make sure he had a job that, so that he could support his bride-to-be. The bride would, would begin the process of accumulating the things that she would need, um, houseware and so forth, in order to, uh, to be a good wife and a, and a loving parent. And then the third stage would be uh, marriage as we understand it, where they would live together under the same roof. Uh, there would be the consummation of the marriage, and then uh, typically not too long after that, there would be the arrival of children. But in the case of Joseph and Mary, this order was uh, way out of whack because what should have happened at the end of stage three, children now was happening in the middle or maybe even the beginning of stage two. And in first century Nazareth, that was not a good thing. It would be cause of uh, gossip and rumor and all kinds of things that would go along with that. And so Joseph finds himself in, a, in the midst of a, of a situation of crisis. He had planned, as he grew up, I'm sure, on, on, on wanting to be a good husband and a good uh, father, a loving parent. But for that to happen, he, he needed to be able to trust his wife, which is true in any marriage relationship. But could he do that now? And for you and for me, while we don't think we have the kind of crisis of, of a relational faith that uh, Joseph had here, uh, we sometimes have crisis of faith ourselves, don't we? Maybe it's in a relationship, but maybe it's also with God. As we, as we become Christians, we, we often have this mindset of what that means, what, what that relationship is going to look like, how, how God's going to be there for us, and, and things are going fine and, until we hit a bump in the road. Maybe it's an illness or a death or an accident, and maybe it's not ours, maybe it's a, of a loved one that we have. Uh, maybe it involves something like a broken relationship or a lost job or an unfulfilled dream. And we have in our mind how God's going to step in and kind of fix all this. And when that doesn't happen, we find ourselves in crisis, not sure what to think anymore. And it's at that moment that it's so important for us to, to remember what faith really is all about. What is, is faith even in definition? The book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, we read this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. If something is, is right there in front of us, then that's, that's not faith to believe in that. That's just an acknowledgement of reality. Faith is that, is that, that willingness to uh, go ahead and believe that those things are going to happen, even when we don't have the evidence right directly in front of our eyes. In fact, for us to, to move through this, this crisis of faith, we've really got to come to a place where we decide whether we're going to believe that God is who he says he is, and we'll do what he says he's going to do, regardless of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Because we know that God's ways are not our ways. That God's timing is not our timing. And that God can cause all things to work good. Joseph found himself in the midst of this, uh, of this uh, crisis of, of faith. But that changed for him when he had an encounter with an angel. And if you remember, there were some distinct pieces to the conversation that he had with the angel that I suspect checked all the boxes of the questions he had been wrestling with as he heard this news initially from Mary. Uh, so he, he had the question answered in terms of the relationship piece. Uh, the angel told him to go ahead and take Mary as his wife, not 
answer. And he knew that answer to the biological question. Well, kind of an answer. I'm sure he didn't completely understand it. We don't understand it yet today. But he knew that, that she had conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit and not another person. It answered the societal question for him. Uh, there was a reason that this baby was coming into the world in this unique fashion, and that was he was going to change it. He was one who would be able to forgive the sins of the people. And then there was the religious piece. All of this had to happen this way because that's what the prophets had foretold. Long ago, the prophet Isaiah had said that a virgin uh, was going to give a birth uh, to one who would ultimately become the Messiah. And so because of all of this, I think it allowed Joseph to, to work through this crisis that he found himself in. For you and me, though, our crisis might be uh, of, of a different fashion. If it's a crisis of faith, uh, there's a similar uh, plot or idea at play here in that God can help us to work through that too. He'll speak into our lives as the angel did with Joseph, uh, not with an angelic visit, I, I don't want to suggest, but he'll speak to us through his word. This wonderful gift that God's given to us that reveal who he is and his truths and his principles to provide guidance for us. He can speak to us through our individual times of prayer when we go to our prayer closets in the morning or as we're praying, driving along to work or in the evenings before we go to bed. He can speak to us through conversation and counsel of other godly men and women that, uh, that God has brought into our lives. God can speak into our lives just as the angel spoke into Joseph's life and help him move through that that crisis that he found himself in. Because as a result of that, of, of being able to move that through that, we, we find that Joseph changed his life to fit God's plan. He changed his life to fit God's plan. Now, we don't know that it was just the encounter with the angel. I mean, it was a dream, um, and so it wasn't quite the same as Mary, who had the angel standing there before her. Uh, there may have been other factors at work there. Maybe he thought of, a, of another Joseph that we read about in Scripture. Remember that Joseph in the Old Testament? Uh, he had some crisis in his life, didn't he? He was sold by his brothers into slavery. That's no fun. And then as he, he began that journey after that, it seemed like every time things would just start going right in his life, uh, the bottom would drop out from underneath that. It would be easy for him to, to blame God or, or to find himself in the midst of crisis. And yet, as we move to the end of the story, we see that Joseph ended up second in power only to Pharaoh himself in Egypt. And because God placed him in the right place at the right time, he was able to save his own family from starvation in the midst of a great famine that had come upon the land. Maybe he thought of that Joseph. Maybe it was the conversation with the angel. I'm not sure. Uh, but what we knew is that Joseph uh, decided to, to follow in the footsteps uh, that God had laid out for him in this conversation that he'd had with the angel to do those things that the angel had called him to. Because we find that when God gives us a clear and unmistakable direction in our life, that we can trust in that. Uh, the question isn't, what is God going to do? Uh, God's always going to do what he told us he's going to do. The question is, is what are we going to do in response to that. And it's not enough just to say that we're going to follow God. We need to follow that up with action as well. There's a Christian writer by the name of uh, John Bevere who has written this. As Christians, we have a great intentions. We nod and we smile and agree with the authorities over us, typically, I think, talking here about church authorities. I'll do it, we say, but then we don't because it's just not important to us. 
personally. Imagine what would have happened if in that conversation with Joseph and the angel, Joseph would have said, well, you know, I can see from Mary's standpoint how it would be a great idea to take her home as my wife, but, you know, for me, I just don't think that's going to work. I mean, I'm going to be confronted by all this gossip and all of, the, all of these things are going to hurt my reputation. It'll probably end up hurting my business. I'll be ridiculed every place I go. I just wouldn't be happy in that situation. And we all know that God just wants us to be happy, right? Isn't that why he's there? Life's just too short to, to subject myself to those kinds of things. It would keep me from, from living my best life. And I'm sure that, that if I don't do it, someone else will do it. Because after all, this really isn't my vision, God, is it? This is, this is your vision. Joseph could have said that, but he didn't. Instead, he, he submitted to God's authority, to God's plan in both word and in deed. He was willing to listen and to obey something that seems obvious uh, when we think about what God would have us to do, but uh, actually doesn't happen um, as much as we would think when it comes to God to people. We may listen, but I'm not sure we always do the obey part. But Joseph did obey. And in that, he learned some lessons that I think maybe are helpful to us even in this day and age. One of the lessons he learns is that if we're going to be faithful to God, uh, that sometimes, not always, but sometimes there's a cost that goes along with that, and we need to be ready for that. God's word is clear that uh, following Christ isn't wimps, that there are times when, when sacrifice is going to be required of us. And so we read passages in First uh, Timothy 3 that says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Or we read in First uh, John 3, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. The more that our society and its standards, its morals, its, its mores and its principles uh, drift away from God's truths uh, and, and word, we find ourselves uh, ultimately standing out in the midst of this uh, foreign place. And because the world's been deceived and doesn't know God, even though oftentimes it thinks it does, God's people, uh, us as disciples, will increasingly find ourselves gossiped about and ostracized and eventually maybe even persecuted. That happens, folks, as we've talked about in the previous weeks. We know that we can step into that with strength and confidence because even as we move into those difficult, challenging moments, we're not alone. Throughout the entirety of Scripture, we, we see two words that are frequently used in conjunction with one another. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, Scripture tells us. An example of that would be found in the book of Deuteronomy, the 31st chapter. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in fear. Do not be fear or be in dread of them, whoever them might be. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. Oh, we see here that, uh, that there is sometimes a cost that goes along with being a vibrant disciple of Jesus Christ. Joseph discovered that. We also discover, as Joseph did, that, that to God, character is more important than reputation. 
that that inner character that we have is more important than our reputation. Uh, Ghost, Joseph could have made an important thing in his existence, uh, preserving the reputation that he had earned up to that point. That could have been his top priority in life. As he heard the angel speaking, he could have, uh, you know, gotten defensive, could have pulled back, as we already said. He could have been self-centered by just focusing on himself and his own needs and wants rather than God's will. And that can sometimes be a natural tendency for us as well, and I think sometimes is accompanied by a nudge from the evil one in conjunction with that, to focus on us and what we want, to focus on the cost rather than on the call. That's not what God desires. We have to focus on the call and not the cost. That call that God has given to our hearts, uh, to our lives. Because the call has, has eternal significance and benefits, whereas the cost, well, the cost results in temporary sacrifice. And I don't want to minimize the sacrifice that's sometimes required in that. I can't imagine what it's like to, to be those 12 remaining uh, hostages in Haiti uh, who are there simply because they're uh, missionaries of Jesus. I can't imagine what it is uh, to live as the persecuted church in China and South or North Korea and so many other places. I can't imagine that. But what I know is that on the grand scheme of eternity, that that's a temporary period and that something better awaits uh, given the totality of, of all of time. In 2 Corinthians 4, uh, Paul describes it in this way. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart for our light and momentary troubles. And remember, this is coming from Paul. Uh, Paul, a man who's been shipwrecked, he's been beaten, he's been uh, hit with rods, he's been scourged, he's been bit by a poisonous snake. Uh, things just are not always going well for Paul. But despite that, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, back to that idea of, of faith. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is it that enables us to, uh, to focus then on, on the call rather than on the cost? Well, part of that is that inner character that God nurtures and develops within us that we nurture and, and develop as well. God is not nearly as interested with our, our outward worldly reputation as he is by our inward character. Reputation is what the, the world sees on the outside. Character is what God sees on the inside of us. And one of the things that, that we discover is that if we, if we choose not to be obedient to God and not to, to follow along in that line of, of nurturing our character, uh, that we lose out on some things. Because it's only through obedience that he opens doors to be involved fully and completely in our lives. God almost always gives us a choice on how we choose uh, to live out of this earthly existence. We, we can choose to be obedient or we can choose to be disobedient. If we choose to be disobedient, then God probably is not going to uh, allow us to experience and be a part of the work of his kingdom as, as, as he would if we lived in lives of obedience. If we choose lives of obedience, God can do things. And we've all heard the stories of individuals, uh, regular men and women throughout history. We see about them in the Bible, but we read about them in other places as well. Joseph would be one of those. 
who from an outward appearance doesn't seem to be anything special, and yet God has an incredible plan for him. God desires to use him in extraordinary ways. But that only happens as we are obedient to God's call. I think, again, for a moment, what would have happened if Joseph hadn't been obedient? You see, there's probably only two general outcomes that were likely to have happened. One, uh, Mary would have been left on her own, whether divorced or just uh, kind of abandoned uh, by Joseph in that day. Because of her reputation that she now had, um, it's unlikely that she would have married again. And, and so she would have been a single mom, uh, raising Jesus, and along with that would probably have lived a life of poverty and experienced all of the problems associated that with a first century life. Or, if Joseph really chose to make a big deal, kind of a stink out of all of this, this was still a day and an age when there was a very stiff penalty uh, to immoral or what's perceived to be immoral behavior could have resulted in the death of Mary and with that, the death of the child within her. But that's not what Joseph did. Instead, he chose to live that, that life of obedience to be faithful to God, even if he didn't understand all the parts that went along with that. That's what he chose. Joseph's courageous obedience because of that, uh, resulted in, in Jesus being raised in an environment where he had a, a godly a fa- a father and mother to start off with. One who would uh, ter- nurture and, and teach and, and raise him, raise him not only how to live life, but to prepare him for a death, a death that would end up covering the cost of you and me and our sins. One of the things that we find is that when we are faithful and obedient to God, sometimes he uses that obedience in ways we can't anticipate, not only uh, to change our lives and and maybe our our little world around us, but sometimes even to change uh, the bigger world around us. There's a picture on the screen of a gentleman named Mordecai Ham. If you're not a, a pastor, you probably aren't familiar with who this is, but uh, Mordecai Ham was born in the, the late 1800s. He was a very sharp individual, uh, very intelligent, had a great personality, one of those people that everybody would like to be around. Um, he also had a very good business sense. And so Mordecai went to college and decided to go into business in Chicago. Started off that business, things went uh, well in the first few years, he, he prospered in that. But after a short time, he decided that that was not what God was calling him to. Instead of being a businessman, he felt that God wanted him uh, to be one who preached the word, who would uh, go out and do tent revivals. And so Mordecai sold his business and began to travel mainly throughout the south, proclaiming and preaching uh, the truth of God in these old-fashioned kind of tent environments uh, that you can imagine. It would have been easy for Mordecai not to do that. I mean, he was doing well in business. He probably could have continued on in that where he would have been successful, affluent, maybe even in that culture prominent, have had some status. But he chose to be faithful instead. And because of that faithfulness, many people were one to Christ. 
And yet, despite that, we probably wouldn't know about Mordecai Ham if it weren't for one particular individual that came to know Jesus through him. You see, on one uh, old uh, fall afternoon when he was, had this tent set up, there was a, a young man that heard the message and came forward with the altar call at the end. This young man's name was William Billy Graham. And through that, the world, or at least a generation, uh, was impacted and changed in very profound ways. Uh, through what would end up becoming Billy Graham Ministries, and, and a ministry that started off in tents as well, but ended up moving into radio, and then from radio into, into television. Thousands and hundreds and thousands and millions of individuals heard the gospel proclaimed. That probably wouldn't happen if it weren't for a gentleman named Mordecai Ham and his willingness to be obedient. And so may we learn this day the lessons that, that Joseph learned some 2,000 years ago. That as we make a choice, and it is again always a choice, as we make a choice to be obedient, sometimes there's cost that goes with that. It doesn't detract from the joy that we can always know. But we need to know that there's sometimes challenges that are a part of that. Of knowing that, that as we, we go through that, that God will be there beside us to, to help strengthen us and encourage us in the midst of those difficult times. And that if we ultimately uh, stay true to that, that God can use us. As we change our lives to fit God's purpose, God's purpose will be lived out in ways that we cannot imagine. Ways that can impact our lives, but sometimes ways that can impact many lives beyond that. May God help us to take the lessons of Joseph with us throughout this Advent season. And to remember, not just this day, but in the days ahead as well. Amen.